Alright everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Health Mastery Show. So, apologies for this audio quality for the intro, but I do promise it does get better. I'm just recording this intro outside and somebody has been going at the hedge trimmers for the last, I don't know, six, seven hours where he just is cutting hedges for hours. So, quality is not great of the audio here, but we I recorded the podcast uh, last week uh, indoors. So, today we have on... Dr. Ian Steele. He is a medical doctor and a cons- consult liaison psychiatrist and an associate professor at Medical College Wisconsin. So today we discussed a paper that Ian was a co-author on called Competitor Bodybuilding, Fitness, Pathology or Both. So kind of to set some scenes for this podcast, if you were like me before this podcast, I wasn't really too sure what pathology meant other than kind of sickness. But if, you, if you're talking about it in terms of bodybuilding, it kind of refers to the question of do people do bodybuilding because they have some sort of mental abnormality because they're a bit strange because you know bodybuilding is kind of strange and especially those who get up to 350 pounds um, and use you know drugs to kind of get themselves absolutely massive so we do touch on all these things so i want to quickly mention that i have some coaching spots available as well for people who want to uh, compete in, bo- in natural bodybuilding uh, so go to healthmastery.co if you want to find out more about that you can also book in a call with myself but without further ado let's get into this conversation with dr ian Steele. ian thanks so much for jumping on the podcast today really appreciate it happy to be here yeah so i i was reading some of your papers that you had published recently and, and decided to reach out i thought they were very interesting and the topic that I think is really important to address, um, especially for people who are interested in, in bodybuilding, both natural and uh, untested bodybuilding. Um, but for those who perhaps aren't familiar with yourself, it would be great if you could do a quick introduction, who you are, your background, etc. Yeah, so my name is Ian Steele. Um, I live over in the United States. Um, I'm a, a psychiatrist, uh, and then I do have a subspecialty within um, psychiatry. It's called consult liaison psychiatry, I think. Recently, it, previously over the last couple of years, it changed from psychosomatic psychiatry into uh, consult liaison. So I work with more medically complex um, uh, patients. Um, but I, I don't uh, personally have a, a background in bodybuilding, but my brother, who's a year younger than me, is a, a bodybuilder. He's uh, the in the non-tested so, um, yeah. uh, realm. He's, he has done numerous competitions. I think he was... Mr. Iowa, um, and is also a bodybuilding coach as well. So he's, and when he started, I went to several of his competitions. So, and, uh, found it kind of a fascinating world. Cause I, other than him, I had never met one. And then going to these competitions, I found it kind of, a mm. fascinating kind of, you know, kind of want to understand it a little bit more. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it. And then doing psychiatry, we always, we had for, training we had to do like an academic project and um i always had this kind of idea like i wanted to do something on bodybuilding just you know if i could and luckily um skip pope who uh i trained out in boston massachusetts skip pope is in boston massachusetts so when i suggested to our, my research advisor hey can i here's what i want to do which kind of thought maybe he'll say it like that's not possible like that's not a real thing uh, he's like oh yeah we have um skip pope over on the other side of town we'll, uh we'll introduce you and then you can do your research with him so that's kind of how i got started in all this mm. and in terms of your kind of academic background kind of what what was your kind of studies in and, and how, how did you become where you are today and, and what institution were you were you at so i, I did my underground uh undergrad um, I got a master, uh, uh, bachelor's in uh, philosophy, and then I did med school, both uh, undergrad and medical school in uh, at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. And I did my um, psychiatry residency training, as well as fellowship out in Boston uh, at uh, Harvard Longwood, uh, which is a combination of several hospitals there. And then I, cause I, and I graduated my fellowship in 2019. And then now currently working at the Medical College of Wisconsin in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm. Seems like a long, a long route to get to yeah. where you are. I know it's slightly different in the U.S. than it is in 
mm-hmm. in the UK or, or Europe or Australia. Um, do you have to go and do, do you have to do medical school then specialize in psychiatry? Is that how it works? Yeah. Medical school for, for four years and then psychiatry for another four years. And then after that, if you want to do a fellowship that there's usually, there's several fellowships that it's um, either one or two years after that. So this is my technical mm-hmm. first real job for the past two years. Otherwise I've spent what, 25, 26 years in, in, tra- uh, in schooling technically. Real. That, that's a lot. And, and just, just when, when you finish uh, medical school in, in the U S when you do your four years, are you qualified as anything or do you have to then specialize even if you want to be a, I don't know if it, are they called general practitioners in the U S as well? Yeah. Right. Um, okay. t- technically you, you're a doctor. <laughs> Legally you could practice, but you're not board certified. I don't know if they have that over, uh, in Europe, but you, you have to do a, um, usually do, you know, a general practitioner, they do three, a three year program. Um, and then you have to take certification boards to get a, a state license. 99.9% of people do that. Technically you don't have to, but that's a little dicey. And most people, that's how lawsuits happen. But, uh, uh, yeah, the medical school is like, basically you figure that's, you spend four years figuring out, you know, what you want to do. Do you want to go into surgery? Do you want to go to psychiatry? Do you want to your endocrinologist. So the, the mm. four years are spent taking a bunch of tests and then figuring out what subspecialty you want to go to, like psychiatry. In my, um, for me personally. So, so on a day-to-day basis, you, you currently work as a psychiatrist in a in a hospital in in Boston. Is that correct, or did you say Iowa? Uh, I'm back in uh, Wisconsin, actually. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I work. Mostly within the hospital, so like the emergency room, ICUs, medical floors, and then I do do a little bit of out, uh, outpatient work in specifically with tra- transplant patients, people who either are going to get or have gotten like heart transplants, lung transplants, livers, um, and I also volunteer for I treat uh, a, a psychiatric consultant to the Great Apes at the Milwaukee County Zoo, so. Well, gorillas, baboons, um, and orangutan, also under my care. D- didn't even know there was such thing. Um, I, I, I didn't that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, that, that's how, how, just out of curiosity. How do you? Is it just observational, or like you, you can't do any talk therapy, obviously, with them? <laughs> um, a lot of it's observational, and we work along with like the the handlers and the vets. So it's. I mean, a lot of it's, I mean, it's very, I mean, it's fascinating, but we use a lot, we kind of help them make medication uh, recommendations, like, you know, because they share 98.3% of our DNA, like they do get anxiety, depression, OCD behaviors. Um, So we treat pretty much the same meds, but because veterinary, uh, veterinarians don't have any training with psychiatric meds, because there's no research, there's no studies, they don't, you know, not, they don't know anything about it, which is, you know, reasonable they we, we help them kind of make medication adjustments or do we think oh is this you know anxiety slash or something else going on something medical or something else that they need to but the, we work with the uh, handlers who do a lot of more be, the behavioral stuff and when the behavioral stuff doesn't doesn't work then they kind of come to us for kind of medication recommendations mm, that's that's well, that's fascinating um but yeah so uh, the paper that uh, one of the two papers that you were, were leading on was uh, called uh, is bodybuilding uh, pathological um it would be interesting i guess first to, to maybe explain what what does that mean the word pathological mean and then kind of what some of the key findings were from that from that paper plus the other other additional paper that i guess was a follow-up where you actually did a case study or sorry not a case study a survey yeah um so i think with pathological uh, we were, you know, it's at least in the United States. I'm, I'm guessing over there too. Is this, they're, I mean, they they hold Mr. Olympia in, I think it's Las Vegas, but like, so it's this huge, you know, event. You know, thousands and thousands of people come all over. But you know, you when you you know look at them, people assume like there's got to be quote unquote something wrong with them because why would you want to get that big? What are they doing? You know, that's not quote unquote normal and 
you know, we're you know, when thinking psych- psychologically slash psychiatrically, you know, we wonder, are is there, you know, something pathological? Is there something ab- quote unquote abnormal or something going on, kind of like OCD or something that's driving that is not the norm or, you know, it's not um, okay, if you will. Um, so we were thinking like, is it, is it just, you know, a, an athlete or is it something more like, yes, they're that big, but they're that big because they're, they're driven by something that's maladaptive, if you will. Um, so that's what we were, um, we've tiled that paper just because, you know, not that we, we didn't assume that it's pathological, but we also, you know, there's some smattering of research out there of like, you know, do they have depression, anxiety, this, you know, muscle dysmorphia, which is the, basically, used to, Dr. Skip Pope he coined the term, but it used to be called reverse anorexia. They think they're never big enough. Is that why they're like that? Is that they driven because they never think they're big enough? Um, because if it, if there, if there's something wrong, you know, not that you, bodybuilding strong but if there's if there's something that they're putting themselves in harm way they're doing things that are dangerous to be that you know should there be a you know think of an intervention to help them be safe you know they can continue bodybuilding but do it in a safe manner so this kind of where we um kind of thought about it is like do what you know what cycle psychiatric pathologies are there if if any Uh, we didn't go in assuming uh there was which i think was part of it because at least in the United States, a lot of journals, uh, medical journals um, Mm. don't like to publish what we call like negative studies, things that say, Oh, it's, it's fine. That's not publication bias, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not sexy. It's not, you know, Oh, they're, they're fine. Why would that's not Mm. fun for the journal to read what, but I thought it was when you try an intervention, there's no results. So let's not publish it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought, you know, I talked to my the colleagues, like I, I kind of want to publish that just because, um, me knowing, you know, been, knowing my brother and being around a lot of them, like, I don't see them as pathological, but I know, you know, I show my friends or, you know, people, um, a picture of my brother who is you know, 300 pounds, huge compared to me. They're like, what they, a lot of them, it's not coming. What's wrong with him? Why would you do that? There's nothing wrong with them. That was my kind of going into it. Like, I don't think there is anything wrong, but because it's a growing, um, a rapidly growing sport, a lot of people are doing it more. It'd be important for other, you know, physicians, primary care doctors, you know, other psychiatrists, other people who may interact with them, you know, have this and say, okay, they're not, it's not pathological. Or, and if there's things, if there are some things, or they're more likely to have, you know, depression, anxiety, OCD, you know, muscle dysmorphia, what can they do about it or how, how to look at it? Um, so that was kind of what, uh, how we got into the paper and why we wanted to start it. But just, just the question on that is, I, I don't know if research has been done because it's not my wheelhouse, but if, if you're looking at other, say, elite sports, because obviously you're talking about your, your brother, he's, if he's 300 pounds, he, he's not, he would be the, the top percentile of, of bodybuilders you know there's many bodybuilders who are 190 pounds mm-hmm. uh probably the majority of them are, are you know smaller um and even amongst people who use anabolics it's probably a lot more prevalent than many people think it's not just the guys who are 300 pounds it's uh, probably a lot of people recreational gym goers but um when you're looking at other sports like elite basketball players or sprinters or football players would these be, would there be similar questions? I, I know that maybe the general public don't look at it that way, but would there be tendencies to think that if someone's so driven to be the top of something that perhaps there would be crossovers or similarities and one just doesn't manifest itself physically because bodybuilding is you're building muscle, whereas the others you're trying to be the best, but maybe through a another expression of performance? Yeah, I mean, I think there, and that was also part of the reason why we would kind of, you know, wanted to put it out there because, you know, if you look at, there are, there are actually a lot of similarities, you know, other, other sports use steroids, despite saying everyone, they don't, I mean, bodybuilders, 
you know, the, you know, the non-natural bodybuilders is kind of like maybe an understood thing. But other than that, like, like basketball, football, you know, the Olympics, it's kind of a, a televised thing where, you know, they hold them up, you know, on a pedestal. I mean, and they're looked at as all great, you know, whereas bodybuilders, it looks like it's kind of like an, an offshoot. It's like, oh, they're weird that they're not a, a quote unquote true athlete. They're not, you know, they, mm. they look at bodybuilders different than they look at, look at an NBA or NFL player or, um, cause it's a, um, not very popular sport, if you will. Uh, but there, there are a lot of similarities. I think, you know, they're coming at least, especially now coming out more and especially with this last Olympics, you're like, you know, a lot of the, athletes i've suffered with depression i suffer oh you know the gymnastics we all know a yep. lot of eating disorders um a lot of them overtrain they'll push themselves past to injuries and a lot of that can is you know a lot of similarities between bodybuilders it's just you know and again all those athletes who prior to the last you know few years who talks about it but you know when michael phelps came out and was promoting it before that is like you, you we don't talk about it so I think there there are a lot of similarities that can be um, drawn from other sports, but you know we wanted to point out like they are similar to them. They're, just, it, they're not dissimilar to you know an elite NBA, NFL, uh, baseball player, whatever you know, whatever sport it is. Mm. And and then so so what were the kind of the key things that do you looked at when? you when you did your research in terms of the, the questions that you're asking or the hypothesis that you're trying to generate we were looking at various different i mean it was hard to because it can be a little bit complex but we tried to kind of hit the, mm. the bigger highlights like you know one uh specifically it was muscle dysmorphia you know this kind of you know always feeling like you're not big enough um you know substance use steroids of course but also other substances either illicit like you know cocaine heroin but but also you know medical drugs like uh you know thyroid hormones insulin you know various kind of things that you wouldn't consider drugs they're substances to you know enhance themselves um and then like of course eating disorders because their eating habits are unique if you to say the least and then like basically um other aspects you know kind of regular are they more predisposed to depression anxiety ocd um those type of you know more common things and, and what did you find with so you kind of mentioned there uh, your your colleague um had had kind of coined the term was it reverse anorexia i don't know if that's the official term for, for muscle dysmorphia but did, did you find that it was quite common in, in bodybuilders i mean i don't know any bodybuilder doesn't want to get bigger um because that's yeah. kind of like when we kind of compare it to say like sprinting you know it's it's there's very kind of very few things you measured by and that's you want to get faster and um, bodybuilders kind of like you yeah of course some people want to get better conditioned and leaner and stuff like that but ultimately always want to be bigger right so is it is that something that's an issue or is that something that's perhaps just part of the the sport or the performance or whatever you you want to call it yeah i think you know they're compared to other any other sport yes it's, it's more prevalent but the, the actual prevalence and actual you know how common is it because if you think of a you know a pathological disorder i mean again all bodybuilders want to be the biggest again it's that's part of the sport but usually when we think of pathological it goes to the point where it starts impairing their you know things outside of the sport so like they can't hold down a job they can't maintain relationships they it's it kind of ruins everything else outside of the sport kind of all-consuming um Versus, like, I want to be bigger, they do it, but they can still hold a job. They can still have, mm. uh, you know, if they want a family, if they want, you know, they don't keep, they're able to keep friends. They, they're able to do things that they want to do. It's, it's not um, creating such an issue. That's that's usually how we kind of define something pathological where it's, okay. it's part of it, but then it pushes it back over where it just kind of destroys everything else. And because it's, 
it was it was 2013 it was finally added to the dsm five yeah five um as an actual kind of disorder under the body dysmorphic disorder subtype before there's not a lot of research so like a lot of in a lot of the you know studies use a lot of scales which i you know they're good and bad you know they're helpful because it's a more simplified kind of way to ask questions to see if someone has a diagnosis like they have various skills for depression various skills for anxiety they can be helpful for research the problem is like when you they're kind of, you can't go into detail if you're asking someone like how impairing is it you know if you ask someone with kind of chronic depression who like never gets better that you know are they truly depressed or is it like kind of a it's something kind of a characterological issue not so much a true major depressive episode um so like there's some the range goes from like i think like three percent to like 50 percent some high so i think it, it's it's there i think you know it's, it's also tough to say like how you know so how truly prevalent is it i think it's it is there it's I think 50% is probably a little too high. 3%, maybe, maybe a little bit lower, but it, it's definitely, it's so, definitely there. So this there. is like 50% of the population that you, you surveyed. Is that, is that correct? You, yeah, well, uh, we, didn't, okay. we weren't able to, because the survey, we, we actually took a survey that was, you took data from a survey that was already published. Some uh, a guy out in California, um, uh, Eric, he did a, he sent out this huge survey um, a, a few years before and used it. He was uh, and published something specifically on steroids, uh, but he had this a lot of this data just kind of sitting there, not being used. And we um, we asked him if we could use that data, looking between competitive bodybuilders and non-competitive bodybuilders, uh, and looking at those things. So he didn't he didn't look specifically at muscle dysmorphia. We kind of asked questions that may may kind of. Uh, be an approximate answer, uh, which was about the same, um, you know, about the same number of people who were specifically in the, in the big survey. I think about, was it 20%, 40% of each, the competitive, the competitive, and then kind of the recreational bodybuilders, 40%, they were kind of preoccupied with their body, kind of, are they in small imperfections? And then 20% of those, were it caused issues so i mean again a, again it was not a full criteria for muscle dysmorphia but a, a, a number of them so it's probably less if you try to actually go through each of each of them by a, a one-on-one one -on -one interview there's probably um around maybe three five percent of them total uh, probably had mm. met criteria I mean, a lot of them are preoccupied with their appearance, but, you know, again, half of the, you know, a fifth of those people who were preoccupied, it actually caused issues where they wouldn't get, yeah. go out in public. They wouldn't, you know, go out to restaurants. It kind of prevented them from living their life, if you will. Okay. Uh, so so th th these may not necessarily be competitive bodybuilders. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, both competitive. And it was about the same in each, which is, it, it was interesting. Okay. So we were also, we were also thinking of, um, we, we kind of narrowed it to specifically competitive just because they're, if you're competing, you're, you're more likely to push yourself more likely to kind of, yeah. you know, again, yeah, we, we were thinking maybe get be at a higher risk for having some of these disorders. Yeah. But it kind of showed and it and then I guess a question probably always would be, and I do see this particularly with say eating disorders or perhaps some issues with, with kind of, uh, self images that, you know, are these pre-existing and, and people get into bodybuilding because they have these or is it that the bodybuilding itself can actually exasperate these things so like with social media uh, and i'm sure you you're aware that there's now not just bodybuilding but you have like the men's physique classes which is mm -hmm. kind of veers more into what normal people would like to look like it's mm -hmm. not not huge it's beach lean it's you know Typically not like what you're going to actually see on the beach, but what you see on the beach magazines. Um, and then I, I have read some research that the prevalence of issues, um, eating disorder, et cetera, with, with these kind of 
with, with those competitors is, is typically can be higher than bodybuilding because often people are driven more so for specific image rather than stepping on stage bodybuilding because they want to be bodybuilder they, they're doing it for maybe external reasons to, to look a certain way um i think and, and you know because social media has you have have a huge influence on that and perceive that better you look better you have a better lifestyle is equated kind of similarly um but i think often and this is just my anecdote but with um bodybuilding it's like not many people actually not, not many people in the general public actually want to look like a bodybuilder like nor mm-hmm. step on stage with uh like a little tongue so um mm-hmm. it's kind of different than you know a men's physique competitor who might be 180 pounds even if they're you know using anabolics or 190 pounds whereas a bodybuilder could be 250 pounds at five foot nine so it's like you know those people who are perhaps want to do bodybuilding maybe are not so preoccupied trying to perhaps impress others i don't know if you have any kind of thoughts on that yeah i think it's you know whether there's some pre pre pre-bodybuilding image um issues i think you know the research that is out there it's a little mixed so it's i think yes there's some that had pre you know they got into bodybuilding because they did not like the way they looked but there's um there's also studies that like show like now that that i didn't have it i kind of wanted to look like that i didn't necessarily not like the way i looked it was something i had always found fascinating so it's i think there's definitely you know some people some of them are there because they hated the way they looked they you know it was they had a lot of body issues but again that's um again that's why i kind of wanted to uh, like I, I like this kind of negative negative study because it, sh- it did kind of show um, uh, that it's it's not necessarily all because they hated the way it looked. It's not all about their image. It's some of them liked that image and wanted to be that. Not that they necessarily didn't like it. Their mm. uh, current ones that they want to be a bodybuilder. But yes, I think that's and that's no one. Not many people want to look like that. So I think that's why you know a lot of people do look at them and say, oh, there's something wrong with them. Who would want to look like that? who would want to be real thin? I mean, some, again, yeah. some people, um, but again, yeah, the bodybuilders tend to, because they're so kind of exaggerated. People wanted to kind of almost want to assume there's something wrong. So I think there's, mm. yes, there's a, a, a subset of that, them that probably uh, have, but I think that's not a, like a hundred percent thing. Uh, but with eating disorders, you know, you know, it, there is a higher um, prevalence, you know, with the, the research they've, you know, we, the my second paper, the one with the survey, again, we, we were using someone else's questions, a lot of data that we weren't able to kind of get a detailed, you know, specifically around eating disorders, I think, um, you know, but the, the first paper, the, the review kind of of the literature out there, you know, uh, show there's, there's a decent amount of them that have had history of, what a, um, sounds like, you know, an eating disorder. Uh, the male bodybuilders, primarily bulimia or kind of an unspecified, you know, eating disorder. Um, I know uh, Skip Pope, he, he, he did a, a, a survey of um, competitive or uh, body, uh, male bodybuilders, and I think 3% of them had a history of anorexia which male anorexia is you know exceedingly rare i think it's point like one two percent of the population it's it's extremely small so so a three percent um was was a huge you know for a male anorexic um so does this mean that they like does that mean that they previously had it and they're recovered because you can't really be a bodybuilder if you're anorexic right so it, would that, yeah. that be seen as a positive thing then because or would it be seen as an obsessive thing you know i think that that's it, it was tough to say because i didn't have a uh, didn't have a one-to-one yeah. interview kind of figured out but it I, you wonder if because anorexia is such a, an intense obsessive eating disorder like it's one of the it is the deadliest psychiatric illness there is it you know it has the highest mortality rate but the they're extremely obsessive. So I do, you do wonder if they go from, you know, rail thin to, you know, because I didn't, I didn't have the 
they didn't have the mm-hmm. size of the bodybuilders, you know, but to like to a bodybuilding, is it was is it positive? Yes, they're not real thin, but you know, are they doing things, you know, to a point where they're probably putting themselves at risk to be a bodybuilder? Um, but a lot of yeah, so a lot of male bodybuilders have a history of what's you know. Again, the research is always possible diagnosis of bulimia because they, you know, you have to actually interview them to give them a, a, an actual diagnosis. But there's a higher prevalence in bodybuilders, and then female female bodybuilders have a lot higher prevalence, you know, bulimia and anorexia. Um, you know, do they? You know, often it's in the past, so it's you know. It, and a lot of the research didn't say how far in the past. So is it years and years and years ago? Where you know, teenage years, and then they got out of it, and then they bodybuilder, or is it right before bodybuilding? You know, was it during a period of their bodybuilding, then kind of went um, one way? And bulimics can be you can you can be bulimic and still be huge. Um, it's more about the at least the diagnostic criteria now is you don't have to be. A certain weight or BMI, it's more of the, the the pattern of behavior. So, like, you know, a lot of it's like, do you did you have to purge after eating, or you know, you binge um, binge eat more than you wanted to, which you know, that's what I think more male bodybuilders have history of bulimia or what may be considered uh, you know bulimia nervosa, where they're eating, but like they they ate too much for that meal in excessive amount, then they either threw it up, they used, you know, various, you know, laxatives or something to purge themselves. Um, and there's a lot, of, a lot of emotional distress. Like, I, I'm ashamed of myself. I, you know, this is a bad thing. As opposed to, I need to eat this huge amount because if I don't, I'm going to, you know, lose all my muscle mass because, you know, it, I'm burning so much calories just, you know, having this much muscle mass. So a lot of it's the kind of psychological in the aspect plus the pattern behavior. So there's a decent amount, at least some a lifetime prevalence of them having it. It doesn't sound like they had any actively, but um, you know, could the bodybuilding then help them regulate it and have kind of a, a more structured as opposed to binging and purging and trying to regulate themselves? Where if you're on a competition, you you have such a set, set regimen of when to eat, when not to eat, what to do. Did that help them? Again, it's. It, not a lot of research out there on bipolars mm-hmm. in general, so it's it's tough to say. But you know it, that could have been part of it. Mm. I, I want to touch a little bit on the 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 use of steroids in in bodybuilding. Did you did you find that it was there was there was certain differences between those who did did and did not use them? I know you mentioned that perhaps and I read that you know recreational drug use is slightly higher. That kind of makes sense. People who I know in the U.S. it's 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 I think it's illegal, um, and some of the other drugs, right? That I I know I know just from, from friends and things like that. Some of the drugs that they would use are, are not even for humans. Um, mm-hmm. So someone you know who's taking, you know, equipoise or something that's for for horses, that they're they're, they're going to be more likely to take risks with recreational class A drugs or or whatever, and um, because they're just a riskier person, right? Um, what what were your, was there specific findings between people who did and did not use them in terms of the type of person they were or their kind of their actions or behaviors? Um, not not exceedingly. I think the only difference that we saw really was that um, you know the non-users may have may have used more a little bit more recreational drugs in the um, the large study with. The survey, the competitive users and the non-competitive users. The only difference there is that the non-competitive were more likely to have used, you know, marijuana. But other mm-hmm. other than that, there's out there. There's not as much, you know, a huge difference. You know, they they've looked at maybe the the people, the competitors using it, maybe have used a little bit longer. Or they started earlier as an earlier age versus the recreational bodybuilders maybe started a little bit later. Um, the st- statistical significance really didn't um, show much difference. I mean, there was kind of a, a trend, maybe a little bit longer cycles, maybe a little bit more 
in the in the, the competitive versus recreational, but otherwise not not a, a huge difference. Um, but I think you know again the the users um, and the other papers like the, the users were more likely to use other substances um, in addition to steroids such as like the, um, thyroid hormones, HGH, insulin, um, other fat burning substances. So they're, they're more likely to use those type of things, which, you know, we don't, you know, we, I wouldn't consider, you know, substance, I mean, illegal substances, um, mm. because they're often more focused on health. These would be kind of uh, appearance enhancing performing drugs. So, you know, fat burning drugs, things to help counteract the steroid issues like gonocomastia. Uh, so they're more likely to use those in addition to steroids than the non-users, which again, those do put yourself at risk for other side effects. So it's, you know, it's, it's not cocaine or heroin, but, you know, using those things are, are not, um, insignificant health, you know, if you think of health wise. Mm. Yeah. I think people are often confuse bodybuilding with health, uh, or, you know, training for health, especially when, when you're getting huge, like any sports, if you're going to the top, um, it's probably not going to be the best thing you can do for your health. But th- did you, did you find, um, with any specific, say users that were obviously, you know, more, most likely going to be larger, and did they have a higher instance rate of um, muscle dysmorphia or anything like that? Or did you find that it was pretty consistent? There was no indicators of why someone would use versus not use anabolics or other kind of associated like thyroid drugs or, or et cetera, insulin. Yeah, I think, you know, the re- the research was a, was a little, has been again, a, a little mixed because uh, often the, the muscle dysmorphia Diagnosis, they're either, they're using different kind of um, assessments, different kind of surveys to kind of correlate a diagnosis. You know, it seems that there's probably a more likelihood that, you know, if you have muscle dysmorphia, you're more likely to do use steroids, um, which kind of makes sense because muscle dysmorphia, you know, part of the criteria is like you put yourself in risky situations, you, you know, you do unsafe behaviors, you know, such as using substances to, you know, make, uh, make yourself bigger work past injuries. So, you know, um, yeah, there is the percentage and, you know, you know, how big they are, you know, are the 300 pounds more likely to do it, you know, uh, have muscle morphia and steroids versus again, the smaller ones that hasn't really, there's not a lot of research around that, mostly because it's a little hard to. Cause I think one of the the paper, so the the survey, well, we kind of um, pointed out our limitations. Like we we weren't able to kind of really go through and nitpick which category was the Arnold Classics, were they the two twelves, were they the physiques? Um, we weren't able to kind of stratify those into the CO mm-hmm. um, to get in the, the kind of really detailed aspects is there a category that's more likely um and that's i haven't seen a lot of research out there that has really been able to do that just because um they're either they didn't think about it or they you know it wasn't really feasible number numbers wise yeah i I know it's not really scientific though uh, to be asking this but as a practitioner what would your kind of thoughts are would be on that like would you think that there's a you know higher rate or 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 is there any kind of or is there particular reasons why people would would turn to that or do you think it's just more some people are more competitive um what you know the research i've found out there is you know it's not there's there's a couple of papers out there that they looked at why did you choose to use steroids? You know, were you influenced by others? Were you influenced, you know, through pressure? You know, a lot of it's actually just got their own desire to be, get to that level. Um, mm. you know, are they, you know, the competitors do tend to have more steroid use. Um, that's, you know, been stated, but like the reasons why it, it's it kind of all over the place. 
Um, so it's a kind of an individual base. Like I really wanted to be that big that I needed to get, I needed to use it to be at that elite level. Again, we see that in other sports too, baseball, you know, definitely yeah. big, like, um, but it's not, um, it, it's not like a primarily just one, like I was peer pressured into yeah. it or. Um, so, so it's like kind of like other sports where you would, they would do it. You you'd probably see it's more common towards the top end of the sport versus the amateurs. Um, and it's not necessarily bodybuilding. It's like, it's not a pathological or reason where they just want to get bigger. It's perhaps they just want to get to the top of the sport like other sports. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you, I mean, if you look at what, what bodybuilding used to be, uh, like mm-hmm. Eugene Sandow, like the original guy, you know, his, his, um, physique versus now, you know, like Phil Heath, you know, mm-hmm. green, like those guys, like there, you, know, you can't, it's impossible not to use steroids to get to that. And if that's what is the gold standard yeah. to be the top, I mean, you kind of have to. So if you have a desire, you know, is, you know, do we blame bodybuilding to, to use steroids? You know, it, it's, I, I would kind of hesitate to say like bodybuilding itself, again, is, is it mm. itself pathological? Cause again, there's natural bodybuilding. There's some people who, really just are muscular just because of their genetics and they don't really need new steroids. And then there's some people who do need even to get to, you know, 180 pounds. Um, so I think it's, again, I think in some of the papers too, I think it's some of the um, society wise is if you look at the GI Joe from um, like 1950s to like now, like the proportions are, just kind of ridiculous so even the uh, male action models look would look like a, a a pro bodybuilder so you know all these kids you know all these kids are looking at what a, a, a masculine male should look like and it's extremely disproportionate to what um what it is in real life and what it used to be like you know 40 years ago mm. i'm curious would, would would society influence that or would the way that people are looking influence the way that companies are marketing? That would be, I'd be kind of curious. I, I, I know it's probably not, it's probably a difficult question to answer, but yeah, I, the same, the same would be true with, with kind of women as well. Right. I know that they even hundreds of years ago, I think it was, uh, but it was admired to be overweight or bigger because it was a sign of wealth. Right. And if you're pale mm-hmm. as well, because you didn't work outside now, pale is, is probably the opposite yeah and i think th- it's, it's probably a, a little bit of both again I, I know there's i know there's research out there that kind of has i looked at this but um yeah it's probably kind of what you know did someone like this athletes did athletes start to become bigger and then people wanted to be like athletes so the you know, society you know they made toys bigger and kind of you know now it's so ingrained that it, it's it's hard to say uh because it may have yeah, I was just you know thinking of the Rocky movies. Like, yeah, I mean, it, the original ones like the he, they're you know Sylvester Stallone them are are big, but like then you look at the later ones like it, it grew exponentially. So like, was it you know society? Was it did they? You know, was it just he wanted to? What kind of pushed him that way? Did they you know? Mm. I don't know. Like it's you know, I'm sure it's a, little, a combination of both of. Uh, you know, the, the marketing campaigns wanting to promote products. So if people want to look like that, they're willing to do that. Um, but also people wanting that seeing, you know, before even the, the advertisements and, you know, um, that aspect kind of caught up. Mm. Yeah. It's very interesting. So, so then in general, then compared to your, your findings compared to say the, just the general population um, of, of people, did you find that there was anything significantly different between bodybuilders and and then just average you know general population and and anything kind of to be aware of or you know at a personal level or if people are listening that are practitioners and that, that work with people from a kind of mental health side of things yeah i think um i think again the the research has been a, a little a little mixed, um, mostly because it, it was hard to make really good, sound, standardized research in this field because it's one it costs money and two it's it's 
is a little bit nebulous, especially in all psychiatry research. So it's, unless you're look, looking specifically at a, a drug, you know, population-based, often, um, you know, I think there is a little bit, then again, well, comparing to the general population, um, you know, bodybuilders, especially competitive ones and higher up, like there are higher levels of depression than maybe the general population, you know, eating disorders, of course. Again, for practitioners, you want to think of like, Yes, their bodybuilders have an interesting eating regimen. You know, you know, especially the, you know, you don't eat when you're hungry. You you eat based on your schedule. You know, is that you know you want to really think about is this disordered eating, or is this just part of the sport? Is it is it causing them distress? Is it causing issues within their personal lives, or is it no? That doesn't bother them. Everything's fine. It's just they eat differently than you. Um, but I think you know for they do, you know, have a little higher rates of depression and anxiety. Um, you know, with the steroid use, you know, I think my my personal opinion is, um, I I want practitioners to be a little bit more, you know, open minded and you know, pick, you know, because I with you know my brother and you know always wanting to make sure people are healthy, like make sure they do have a primary care doctor and like be honest with them, like to, you know, say, are you using various substances? You know, cause the, you know, the last thing, if you're using these, you, if you're not getting blood tests, you don't know what's going on with your blood, your heart, your kidneys. Um, and you know, I want practitioners to know, like if they are, you know, don't just kind of focus on that harp on that because it kind of shuts people down. Like if that's all they're going to talk about, you know, then I'm not going to come see a doctor because they're just going to say you're using steroids or you're doing this or you're, you know, I think the sport's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. They're not going to go to the doctor, but like make sure they're healthy. And if, you know, that they're informed about the risks, you know, and, you know, routinely checking them, you know, various, you know, blood levels, organ systems, just to make sure, because if they're using the, they're putting the risk at side effects that, you know, you know, the bodybuilder, the athlete should know, what's going on with their body, um, but not to push them away. And then do focus on like checking if they're doing okay in the personal life. Cause if, you know, if the competitive ones are getting up there, they're pro, you know, what's their personal life like? All right, do you, are you able to go out in public? Are you, are you able to keep assuming that they have another job? Like, are you able to keep jobs? Um, cause I know, you know, my brother was saying just kind of knowing people and, in, in the bodybuilding field, like a lot of them, you know, either turn down promotions or turn, you know, hard time keeping a job because of their just kind of obsession about working out and, you know, the regiment that they feel like they have to keep or they can't keep a job, which, you know, I think it's a, it's a balance with bodybuilding and, you know, because it is a much different style of, you know, uh, a sport than other uh, other ones, but like you know, are, is it impairing them in some way? Because if it's not, then they're fine. They're you know, friends. They're able to do things, or you know, they're okay. Then they're okay. But you know, there's a physical health that you want to watch out for, um, and also the mental health. Because if they're struggling with depression, you know, you know, research has shown like people with muscle dysmorphia, they they are a higher predilection to have other OCD like trichotillomania. Um, other kind of obsessions, um, which is not uncommon in things like um, people with eating disorders have a high rate of depression, anxiety, muscle dysmorphia. Again, having one mental health diagnosis um, puts you at risk for having another. Um, I, I don't want to say it's a, a good or bad thing. It's just kind of how it is. Um, again, it's not just depression. Depression, depression, anxiety are often are intertwined it's sometimes hard to tease them apart but like you know anorexia a lot of them are, i think they have a higher incidence of ocd because of just how they are um kind of the obsessiveness so it's um you want to kind of watch out for you know those things because if, if they're there you want to be you want to treat them because it's not so much quit bodybuilding you know, you'd be bodybuilding and depressed or have these issues or quit and you'll be fine um, I think you can, you can be a bodybuilder and not be depressed or and be a bodybuilder and not have these kind of issues. So, um, 
you know, I want, my hope is to like have bodybuilders be comfortable going to a, a, a practitioner, whether it's a psychiatrist or a primary care doctor or whoever, um, to get help. Cause it's not, you know, it's, again, it's not, uh, it's not a weakness. It's, you know, you want to think of it as I'm taking control. If I want to keep doing this, I need to get this aspect of me, you know, treated so I can keep doing it as, as opposed to, Oh, I have depression or anxiety or, you know, you know, bulimia, I'm a failure, I'm weak, you know, it's not, um, I'll just push in the back of mind, it'll be fine, that's usually not kind of how it works, and usually if untreated, you know, mental health issues usually become all-consuming, and, you know, you can't continue being a bodybuilder if those aren't treated, so I always, like, try to think of it as, you know, if, in order to keep doing what you want to do, you got to get this, this aspect treated, um, I want practitioners to think about that too. Like, don't think of it as like they need to quit bodybuilding and they'll be they'll be happy. Which I, they might actually just like bodybuilding, but you know, they're doing something that's causing an issue that's causing them to have depression. Um, treat the depression because you know, quitting bodybuilding is not always just the answer. Because if, if that's what they love to do, that's not going to help. You know, depression or their their anxiety. Yeah. Definitely, definitely some food for thought, and and thank you for the insights. Um, it's been great having you on, Ian. Is, is there anywhere that people can go to find out more about yourself or your work, or is there anything planned down the line? Um, you know, down the line, I mean, I I have uh, goals of opening like a, a sports uh, uh, a, a clinic within a, a sport in a sports psychiatry clinic. Uh, I know we have some professional teams here, so I think the uh, College of Wisconsin is associated with like the Milwaukee Bucks and some of the professional teams here. So working with them, um, that was kind of a they goal of mine. Like, yeah, they, they had a good season this year. Yeah, <laughs> finally. Um, but I think you know, there's there's stuff about you know me that you know if you just type in my name. Um, yeah. in Medical College of Wisconsin. But I think for even and for practitioners, the um, one of the books we put out um, is the, I'll just show it, it's, it's the ISSP oh. Manual Sports Psychiatry. And it does go throughout um, all the individual sports. Like it goes, you know, weightlifting, golf, rowing, soccer. I mean, it goes through like pretty much everything um, for kind of at least a general sense of you know what issues are you know treatment recommendations how to how to think about treating you know the eating disorders depression these type of athletes you know you know weightlifting like what things to think about if they're using certain types of substances i think that's it's um people found it uh helpful to have because it's not a, extremely detailed but it's enough where they you know know what to look for and if they you know want to look a little bit further, they they kind of have a, an idea what to look for. Great, I'll put the link to that, and I'll put the link to the papers that we chatted about as well in the show notes. Um, but but once again, thank you for coming on, Ian, and uh, have a have a great evening. Thanks for having me.